Corinthians chapter number three. First Corinthians chapter number three is where we're going to be here tonight. First Corinthians chapter number three is where our scripture reading will be here tonight. First Corinthians chapter number three, we're going to begin reading in verse number one. First Corinthians chapter number three, verse number one is where we'll begin reading. Just another moment or so to get there. First Corinthians chapter number three, verse number one. All right, the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not yet carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not yet carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You ever dealt with the paradox that, that the, the kind of the conflict that comes with growing up. Remember when you were a kid, and as a kid, man, you wanted nothing more than to be an adult, and you couldn't wait maybe to get your driver's license. Maybe you couldn't wait to go out and get your, your first apartment. Or you, can't, you couldn't wait to finally get out from mom and dad's roof so you could go out and you could do, you know, whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. You know, I saw a social media post that, that talked about it. it was a, a young lady who said, man, I just realized that I'm a full-grown adult, which means I can go buy a huge sheet cake from Walmart whenever I want. And since mom and dad aren't here, I can just sit here and eat the whole thing. She posted about two hours later and said, there's more cake than I could possibly imagine. <laughs> My stomach is in so much pain. But, but the idea is, you know, you, you strive so much to be an, an adult, and then as soon as you get to be an adult, what do you want to do? You just say, man, I wish life was as simple as it was back when I was a kid. Man, I wish that my, all of my struggles were just down to how I was going to do on the next math test. Man, I wish that my biggest responsibility was just making sure that my English homework was done. But the reality is there comes a time for all of us when we have to grow up. There comes a time when we have to accept that there's a time where we need to move on to a point of greater maturity. And this is a, a big part of what Paul is pushing here when he's trying to speak to, with the Corinthian believers. And so I want to preach a message tonight entitled, Time to Grow Up. Time to Grow Up. Notice first, number one with me, a stunted growth. A stunted growth. Now to understand the urgency with which chapter 3 is being spoken with, we need to understand chapter 2. Now, chapter 2 is a very interesting chapter because Paul spends a lot of time detailing how the Holy Spirit works in our lives in chapter 2. He, he describes how, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to reveal what he refers to as the deep things of God. Paul speaks about how his preaching and even in his life was not a not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but how his preaching, his very preaching, was, was in a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power in his life. Paul is sitting there, and he's plead, pleading with the Corinthian believers how amazing it is, and how awesome it is to, to understand and have the Holy Spirit be working in your life. But near the end of the chapter, he spends some time detailing how the natural or carnal man is unable to grasp the things of God because they are, as he says, spiritually discerned. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works in our life to reveal these things. So he spends this chapter talking about, man, this stuff is awesome. Getting to understand the deep things and the deep truths of God and having the opportunity to have this type of wisdom revealed to you. Man, it is just incredible. And now we see Paul... Moving on to chapter number three, where we now see that these verses are more than just an admonition, but a plea for the Corinthian church to move on to spiritual maturity. You know, he essentially says at the end of the chapter, the natural man, he can't, he can't comprehend 
these things. Listen, on our own, just using our, our flesh and just using our limited wisdom, we can't comprehend the deep things of God. And these are things that are awesome. These are things that are amazing. These are things that you don't want to miss out on. And you see that the people that are living carnally, they're living in their flesh, they can't, they can't discern these things because they're spiritually discerned. And it's almost like he looks at the Corinthian church in chapter 3, verse number 1. It's almost like he looks at the Corinthian church and goes, you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about you. Uh, you know, it's really funny to me sometimes hearing some of the ways in which Paul is so blunt in his writings. You know, I, it's, it's really awesome to me how sometimes Paul is just like, you know, we get so big about, you know, we want to say things very carefully. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Like, Paul didn't care. Like, he did not care. And it was awesome. Like, Paul literally just says, he, he basically says to them, this natural man, he can't discern these spiritual things. And then it's almost like he looks at the Corinthian church and goes, ring a bell? Because it's you. I mean, that's, it's so amazing. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He's looking at the Corinthian believers and saying, Listen, you need to grow. Listen, it's great that you have the gospel. It's great that you have the truth of God's word, but you're not doing anything with it. And listen, there's all these amazing, awesome things that you're missing out on because you're just spiritually immature. You see, the issue wasn't that Paul had to speak to them. He says here in the beginning verses of this chapter that this, is, this was how he had to speak to them. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes, I he talks in the past tense, but then he moves in verse number two into the present tense. He, he says here, he goes, he goes, yes, that was how I had to speak to you, but now he says, I have fed you with milk. In other words, I still can't speak to you in, on these spiritual matters because you're still carnal. You're still not at a point of spiritual maturity yet. You know, I know we have a lot of parents in here. And man, do you remember back when you had your first child? Your very first child, and maybe you were that, that super paranoid parent. You know, that every little thing, my, my child is this many months. Are, are they, when are they supposed to be doing this? Is, is this normal? Uh, I, oh, oh, you want to hold my baby? Here, here, put on three layers of hand sanitizer in a hazmat suit, okay? Then I want you to go out into the desanitization, into the, I'm sorry, not the desanitization, the sanitization chamber, and I want you to wash off there and then come in and wash your hands and then you can hold my baby. Remember back when you first had your first child and everything was, is this normal? And they're, they're this many months or they're this many years old? And, and, and do, they, do they, have they reached this milestone yet? You know, if our children were to reach a certain age and they hadn't hit certain milestones, we would, be, we would begin to become concerned. If we had a, perhaps a four-year-old who was not yet talking it would be of, of a concern to us. We would be looking, man, you know, at four years old, you should very easily be talking and should be able to hold a conversation with you. And yet I propose to you that so many times, as Christians, the same is true of us spiritually. You know, my, my pastor in California, he used to say this all the time. He used to say, you know, listen, when you got saved, you know, I'm sure that you did some growing and you got, got in your Bible. He said, listen, but let me ask you this. He said, when you got saved, you had that one year of growth. What have you done after that? Has it been the same year over and over and over again? Or every year are you looking to grow? And every year, listen, what Paul is trying to get across here is that, listen, if our children were, again, at, say, four years old and not talking or four years old and not walking yet, we would be very concerned. And so why don't we have that same standard for ourselves spiritually? You know, we, we sit there, and, and as Christians, so often we're, we're so okay with accepting lukewarm Christianity. And listen, when we first get saved, we're spiritual babies. The Bible talks about that. And there's not a whole lot that we can figure out on our own. You know, one of my, my greatest joys recently has been working with some of our, our newly saved teens and just kind of seeing some of them and some of their curiosity and some of the things that they just don't understand yet. 
and things. It's really, uh, it's a joy to be able to see that. It's a joy to see a new Christian who has a lot of those questions. But just like a physical human being, there should come a point where we begin to move on to greater things. And we begin to move on to more mature things. You know, again, we gave the illustration of a four-year-old that couldn't talk, but let's say you have a four-year-old Christian. Shouldn't it be concerning if there's a person who's been saved for four years and doesn't know how to lead someone to Christ? Shouldn't it be concerning if, if we look back at our Christian life, well, I've been saved for, you know, 20 years or 15 years or, or 40 or 50 years. Can we look back at the growth that we've had? Or did we just kind of hit a point where we just kind of became content? Where we got the Christian routine down, we figured out what our Christian duty was, and then we just kind of put it in cruise control from that point on. And this is exactly what Paul is looking at us, looking at the Corinthian church, and he's saying, He's saying, listen, you're still immature. You're not growing. Listen, it's great that you have the gospel, but the gospel is just the first step. It's just the first step in the journey. And if you think it's the gospel, great, I've got, I've got my ticket to heaven, things are great, and that's awesome. But there's so much more to the Christian life, just like he talked about in chapter 2. And when we don't move on to that point of spiritual maturity, we miss out on those things. And while the Bible doesn't give us a perhaps step-by-step guide of the milestones, you know, after your first year, you should be able to do this, and after your second year, it doesn't give us a step-by-step guide because it's different for everybody. The Bible does make it pretty clear that we ought to be growing. We ought to be able to look back and see the progress. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Listen, Paul is is looking at the Corinthian church and he's saying, man, you're missing out. Because the thing is, you just, again, you went up, you went up, you went up, and then you just plateaued. You stopped right there. You thought you had the whole Christian thing figured out. You thought you'd arrived. And because of that, you're missing out on so much of what God wants to show you and so much of what God wants to do in your life. But the question that must be asked is simply this one. Why aren't Christians reaching the milestones of spiritual maturity? Why aren't they? Why aren't Christians reaching the milestones of spiritual maturity? Why is it that so many Christians, again, they grow and they grow and they grow, but they hit that point where eventually it just kind of smooths out and things go in cruise control? Why is it that that's such a common theme in Christianity? And while there's not necessarily one answer that covers all situations, I believe that there's really, there's really one main reason for it. It's that churches... And and Christianity across the country has gotten to a point where we've kind of silently agreed to accept lukewarm Christianity. We've gotten to the point where we've kind of, again, there's never been any sort of consensus where all the churches have gotten together and said, this is the standard of what good Christianity is. But the churches, I think, across the country and Christians across the country have really gotten to a point where we've kind of silently agreed to accept lukewarm Christianity. That as long as, you know, as long as you're here on Sunday, and as long as you're here on Wednesday, and as long as you're reading your Bible, then, you know, you're a good Christian, and that's, you know, that's the best we can expect out of you. And while those things are great things to do, while those things are awesome things to do, and healthy things to do, they're not the mark of spiritual maturity. We ought to, as Christians, we ought to be seeking to become greater students of the Word. We ought to be seeking in many ways to grow in our spiritual life. Listen, listen, just because, again, we're coming to church and just because we're reading our Bible doesn't mean that we've reached a point of spiritual maturity. But you see, because you see, the thing is, progress isn't measured by the people around you. We need to look inward and look at ourselves and say, did I grow this year? Did I become a bolder witness? Did I become a greater student of God's word? Did I become someone who, who, who seeks to show God's love in a greater way to others? 
When I look back at this past year, did I grow? Did I mature? Did I come into a greater walk with Jesus Christ? You know, think about this. Many times you'll see a new Christian who will come in and will get saved. And many times if you see them, they, they're on fire for God. Man, they're ready to go and they're raring to go. And they're, they're saying, yes, let's do it. Let's go, let's go reach people. Let's go see God do amazing things. And while many times, again, nobody's going to say this, I think we as Christians sometimes silently in our heads can kind of go, oh man, look at their fire for God. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that'll wear off eventually. Because many times we as Christians, we haven't had that fire in our heart for a long time. We lost that a long time ago. And instead of looking at that person and saying, man, I, man, I got to get back to, to getting what they have. Man, I got to get that fire again. I got to get that passion again. We instead decide to drag them down with us. Oh, it's okay. That'll fade. They'll figure it out. Churches, again, around the country have, again, it's grown to be a place where the fire and the passion has gone out many, many long ago and many times again we've just come to accept lukewarm christianity that as long as again as long as we're checking things off the list then it must mean that you're a good christian and it must mean that that you're on the right track and well again those things are awesome and great things to do we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves god did this year did i give you my best and here's the thing, we here in leadership, we can't tell you if you did. Only you and God know. Only you and God know if, you're, if you truly made progress. Sure, there are certain things that can make it appear as though you made progress, and there might be some certain markers that outwardly that you might be able to see. But inwardly, the only true way for you to know if you made progress... This year is for you, it to be between you and God, and you to ask God, God, man, I want to see growth. God, you direct my goals. You direct where I go. You know, we have so many times, again, where a young Christian comes in, and instead of us being the one who's, who's you know, I, I guess you could say metaphorically throwing gasoline on the fire and saying, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's go. Let's take this passion. Let's run with it. And, and them joining another group of people who are also on fire for God. Too many times we are the ones who are the wet blanket on them. We are the ones who look at them and go, oh yeah, they're just, <laughs> they're going through the honeymoon phase of Christianity. They'll figure it out. You know, you ever notice, you ever notice how a young boy imitates his father? How many times there's a, a young boy who, who, man, they look up to their dad in every possible way. I mean, I'll tell you what, when I was six years old, let me tell you, I wasn't like other six-year-olds. I didn't want to be a firefighter. I didn't want to be an astronaut. I didn't want to be a police officer. You know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be, this was real ambitious, I wanted to be a banker. Why? That's what my dad did. And my dad was the greatest person ever. So, like, how could you top that? Like, if that's what my dad did, then surely that's the greatest job on earth because who wouldn't want to be a banker? My dad does it. And you know, so many times, you have these new Christians who come in and they're spiritual babes. They're spiritual, you know, toddlers, if you will. And they get into a church and they, they're looking around at all the, you know, kind of these spiritual grown-ups, if you will, to see what Christianity really is. And too many times they find, they find a group of people that haven't had passion in a long time. Now, I'm speaking very generally here. I'm not aiming this at any particular person or group or anything like that, but I've, just, I've seen so many times where you get somebody who's got a fire and somebody who's got a passion and somebody who, who goes out and, and wants to do amazing things for God. And yet, the people that pull them down are not unbelievers but Christians. And so that new believer, they have that fire. And what do they walk in? They, they walk in, they see what? Mediocrity. And they assume, oh, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christianity is. You know, the Bible talks about this in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 15. It says, I know thy works. When this is John, uh, this is Jesus writing to the 
church at Laodicea. I know that worship, thou art neither cold nor hot. I, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of, out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Have we ever considered that part of the reason that God sends in new converts is perhaps because he knows that we've lost our fire? And that sometimes the, that, that new believer is supposed to be the igniter for our fire? That many times, you know, you'll see somebody who comes in and they're excited and maybe they're going through discipleship and maybe they get baptized. Man, I'll tell you what, if you don't get excited about that, man, we need to have a spiritual checkup. When we see the baptismal water stirred, when we, see, when, we hear about, when we hear about perhaps another soul getting saved, man, I couldn't tell you how excited I was today. We had another teenager accept Christ as their Savior at our MCC club today. I was ecstatic. He's here. He's here. His family's looking for a church. And man, I would love nothing more for them to walk in and to walk into this church and to see, wow, this is what Christianity's like. This is awesome. But so many times what happens is we get these new believers and they've got this fire. And we, 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 here's what we say. Well, I'm just trying to be realistic. I'm, well, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of maintain a good pace. Friend, let me tell you something. There is one person whose strength never runs out and it's the very person that's on your side. God calls you to do something. God puts that fire in your heart. Listen, God's always going to give you the fuel to do what he calls you to do. So God puts that fire in your heart. God puts that passion in your heart to do what he calls you to do. Listen, don't slow it down for the sake of realism. Well, Pastor Parker, I, God, God, God's been pushing me to, to knock 100 doors a week. I can't do that. Sure you can. If God called you to do it, well, I don't have the energy to do it. Then he's going to give you the energy to do it. And sure, that's not what God calls everybody to do. But, but listen, we have so many people that come in with a fire and it's put out in the name of realism? Listen, how about we stop looking at those people and saying, oh, that's, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out eventually and say, man, that's awesome. Hey, you know what? Me and you, let's go out. Let's go out. Let's do some visits together. Hey, you know what? Let's read the Bible together. I'd love to hear your perspective on the Bible. Listen, be the one who jumps on board. You know, I, I think so much about I was listening to a message the other day, and you know, we, we talk about this, how, how much we are in need many times of a spiritual checkup, because again, we're the ones who are pulling others down. We have, we have no idea many times the effect that this has had on Christianity as a whole. You know, we think about youth groups that are shrinking, and pastors that are leaving churches, and even some churches that are closing their doors for good. Because this lukewarm brand of Christianity got in. And when lukewarm Christianity begins to permeate throughout a church, when things get rough, things go south quickly. And you know, I, I was listening to a message the other day. It was a man who's actually a pastor up in Canada. I was listening to him preach in chapel at, at West Coast where I went to college and and he shared this statistic, and I just, I just thought I'd share this with you, because this, man, this, this touched my heart. So Canada is a city, is a country of about 35 million people. For those 35 million people, they have only 320 Baptist churches. That's one church for every 100,000 people. And I'm going to bet some money that each of those churches don't run 100,000. Here's the other thing. One-sixth of those churches, one in every six of those churches, about 50 of those 320 churches, currently don't have pastors. These statistics, again, are given by a Canadian pastor who also estimates that within the next five years, that number could increase from 50 to approximately 100 to 150, leaving nearly half of the churches in Canada without a pastor. Churches across America and across our world are dying. 
because a culture of accepting mediocrity and accepting a lukewarm brand of Christianity has gotten us. And it's something that we just have to look at ourselves at. It's not the fault of, there, sure, there are times when we could say, you know, oh, well, well, leadership could have been better. But the reality is the body is made up of individual parts. And if we find ourselves in a place of lukewarm and just kind of plateaued Christianity where we're not growing and we're not progressing, listen, we need to take some time, hit our knees, and just ask the Lord, Lord, show me, reveal to me, search my heart, know my thoughts, search me inside and out, up, down, left, right, north, south, east, west. God, you look me in and out, upside down and inside out. Because I need, man, Lord, I want to have that passion. I want to have that fire. I want to have that, that excitement about going to church every Sunday. I want to have that, that, that passion for souls. So we see here that there's a stunted growth. Too many times we've learned to accept lukewarm Christianity. But notice number two, there's also a silly division. A silly division. You know, what I think is really incredibly interesting to note here is how Paul defines their spiritual immaturity. Now, we know that the Corinthian church had a large, large list of, of issues. When you talk about sexual immorality and, and all sorts of different things that were just permeating throughout the church. And yet in this moment, you know what Paul goes to? He doesn't point out the sexual immorality. He doesn't talk about lying or dishonesty. How does Paul define their spiritual immaturity? Look with me here at verse number three for ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are ye not yet carnal and walk as men for while one saith i am of paul and another i am of apollos are ye not carnal who then is paul and who is apollos but ministers by whom ye believed even as the lord gave to every man i have planted apollos hath watered but god gave the increase you know what he said the sign of their immaturity was? It was fighting and divisions among them over silly, ridiculous things. He, he said, here's, here's what he says. He says, listen, you've got a group of you over here that's saying, I'm a disciple and a follower of Paul. And you've got another group over here that's saying, I'm a disciple and follower of Apollos. He's like, listen, me and Apollos, listen, we're on the same team. So why are you dividing the same team? I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous it would sound if we had people in the church who said, I'm of Pastor Brian. And another group over here that said, well, let me tell you, I'm a follower of Pastor Parker. And, I'm a, and then you had another group over here, that, I'm, a fat, I'm a follower of Brother Barnes. Amen. I mean, we would look at those people and say, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Why would you, you divide? I mean, you're dividing people that are on the same team and the, these divisions they're just silly they're ridiculous and yet too many times as christians we are dividing over petty things like i said before as christians if you spend enough time in church it's not hard to figure out your christian duty and to get into a routine with things it's not hard to to figure out kind of the routine and kind of how things go and how things run and what's expected but if we're not careful, when we get good at that routine, when we get good at going through the motions, a spirit of elitism can begin to creep in. This idea that my routine is better than your routine. And if you don't do your routine the same way I do my routine, then that means you're wrong and you're less of a Christian than I am. And if you're less, than a Christ, less of a Christian than I am, then I don't want to hang out with you. Now let me just clarify, I'm not talking about doctrine. There are 100% Bible truths we should stand firm on and we should keep and stay true to. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is, our, again, our daily Christian routine, squabbling over petty things, feeling as though we are superior. Again, just because somebody else's Christian routine is just a little bit different than ours is. If we're not careful, we may even get into the dangerous territory of thinking that our method of doing things is the only way that God can use to work in people's lives. I'm just going to say, that's just false. 
If we think, well, the only way that God can use a preacher is if he wears a tie. Well, and if the preacher's not wearing a tie, then that must mean he's not right with God. And I shouldn't listen to a backslidden preacher like that. And we look at that and we say, well, Pastor Parker, that's, that's ridiculous. But these are the kind of things that we squabble over. These are the kind of things that are so petty and so small. And Satan uses these things to divide Christians. He uses these things because you know what he knows? He knows that when, when Christians may become united and when they work together as one harmonious body, some really, really good stuff happens. And some really, really bad stuff for him happens. So what does he do? He says, all right, I'm going to put this divider right here, and then I can take this group. I can probably take that group a lot easier. And then I'll put this divider over here and this group over here, and then I can probably, I'll deal with them later. And he knows that if he can take you know, this group of 50 by themselves and this you know, group of so-and-so by themselves and, and whatever, he knows that he's got a much better chance at winning that battle. And so what does he do? He uses, again, little, small, petty things. Simple terms where, again, if you don't do it exactly how I do it, if you don't preach exactly the way I think you should, if you don't dress exactly the way I think you should, and again, there's nothing wrong with having standards. There's nothing wrong with having, with having guidelines for things. But if we're going to look at somebody, and again, say something, like, like we said earlier, well, that because they're not wearing a tie, then they're not right with God. That's just ridiculous. And if we're going to look at somebody and say, because you don't do your routine the same way I do my routine, my routine is superior to yours. That's just ridiculous. Look with me, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 14. Romans, chapter number 14. I want us to see uh, what Paul says to the Roman believers on this very subject. Romans, chapter number 14. Romans chapter 14, verse number 1. The Bible says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and not, let not him that eateth eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth, standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he that giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, if something is a doctrinal black and white Bible issue, then we ought to stand on it. Don't misunderstand me here. If something is a, is a Bible issue where the Bible clearly teaches it, we ought to stand on it. We ought to have standards in our life. But when it comes to these, these petty things, these small things that the devil wants to, to, again, look at us and say, well, because they don't do this exactly the same way you do, that must mean that they're not as good of a Christian as you are. Listen, Paul says that's just ridiculous. Guess what? That person, they're not going to stand before you one day and give an account. Listen, point out error where error is when it comes to doctrine, but when it comes to the preferences, listen, if one church or one person decides to do something a little bit different than you do, does it mean that they're any less of a Christian than you are? And this is what Paul says defines their spiritual immaturity. He says you're, you're doing these little things where you're, you're nitpicking and you're, you're, finding these petty, you're, you're finding these petty things to fight over. 
and it's hurting the cause of Christ. And it's a big part of what's keeping you from moving on to spiritual maturity, that if you were just willing to, to mend these fences, if you will, if you were willing to, to mend these relationships and understand that, you know, again, he that eateth, do it unto the Lord, but he that eateth not, also eateth not unto the Lord, then man, God could do amazing things if we just stopped fighting over such petty little things. Again, there's no question we ought to stand firm on our doctrine, stand firm on our convictions, and we ought to have standards. But when we find ourselves beginning to nitpick other people's Christianity, we ought to consider the words of Jesus. Where he says, hey, first get that beam out of your own eye. You know what? I have a hard enough time keeping myself in line. I can't be worrying about somebody else's Christianity. I have a hard enough time figuring out how to live the Christian life for myself. I don't have time to be nitpicking other people's Christianity. Doesn't mean I, wanna, I don't want to help people. Doesn't mean that I don't want to help guide people into truth. But it takes enough time out of our lives to focus on the things that are actually important. And in order to go to these petty things, we have to neglect the important. So why are we focusing on the, on the petty things? Paul says this is the sign of your spiritual immaturity. So we've seen here a stunted growth, that there was a, a point where the, the Corinthian believers, they just plateaued. And so many times, again, this is where we get to as Christians, where many times we just feel like we get the routine down. All right, I've got it down. I know what I'm supposed to do. Now I can just put it in cruise control. And Paul says, you're missing out. He says, man, you're missing out. And then we see a silly division. We see so many times we miss out on great Christian fellowship. And we miss out on getting God to see, getting to see God do amazing things because we're fighting over petty things. Because we're dividing and we're, 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 we're you know, again, just, just squabbling over things that in the scope of eternity, they don't matter. But notice lastly with me, a significant role. A significant role. This is really where Paul begins to drive home his point. So turn back with me to, to 1 Corinthians 3. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 3. And I want us to see here what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 3. Look at verse number 5. Paul says this. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollos, watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planted anything, then he, neither he that watered, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. He said, listen, Paul says, listen, listen, I, I might have played a different role in your life than Apollos did. Man, Apollos came at a different time, at a different point in your spiritual life. And listen, we might have played different roles. I planted, Apollos watered. But that doesn't mean that we're not on the same team. And Paul said, listen, I'm not caught up in what part of God's plan I get to be a part of. I'm just happy to be a part of it. I know the role that God has for me. And you know what? I'm not focused on what somebody else is doing. I'm just focused on doing what God has called me to do. He basically says, he says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos but members of the same team? We're workers on the same team. We're working towards the same goal. So who cares if I'm the one that planted and Apollos is the one that watered? There's going to be some places where I, Apollos plants and then I'm the one that watered. But at the end of the day, we're on the same team and we're working towards the same goal. But you see, here's the thing. So many times... Again, too many times we get so focused on what other people are doing that we neglect our role in God's plan. You know, imagine this. Imagine that you're working on a construction site. And let's say that you're the electrician. Your job is to go in and, and hook up all the electrical. All the electrical things in, in the house. And, and you begin to walk in. You've got all your tools and, and you're ready to go. And, and as you walk in, though, you begin to notice something. You notice that you don't like the way that the drywallers are, are holding the drywall. 
and the foreman you don't really like his leadership style it's effective it's getting the job done but but you don't exactly you don't exactly agree with his leadership style and then you go to the plumbers and and the the, the size of the pipes aren't exactly the size of pipes that that you want for the house this isn't your house you're just the electrician and so what do you do? You spend your entire day, you go around and you, you walk up to the drywall and say, no, 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 here's how you hold it. Let me tell you, no, 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 this is, this is, you're not doing it the correct way. You need to do it like this. You know, and then you walk up to the foreman and you say, listen, listen, sir, you, you, need, to, you need to lead this way and this is not the right way to do it and you, you need to change your approach and all of these things. And then you go up to the plumber and you say, you need to return these pipes immediately. I don't like this. I don't like the color of these pipes. These are, these are not good. I don't, I don't like this. You need to take that back. And you know what? You even, you even are, are so good at talking to other people that you get your way. And you get all the people to do exactly what it is that you want them to do. And you walk out of that job site that day, and you know what you walk out to? A house without electrical. And a group of disgruntled workers. And we sit there and we look at that illustration and we say, man, how ridiculous would it be for an electrician to spend their entire day critiquing other people who are doing things that, that aren't even connected to what they're doing? It doesn't even affect what they're doing. And, and it's, it's not even on something that's super important. I mean, the drywallers, they were carrying the drywall in a way that was going to get the job done. They just, he just didn't like the way they were doing it. And, and you, you would look at this electrician and say, man... This is, this is so foolish for him to spend the entire day completely neglecting his own role just to critique others. My college president used to say all the time, you know, they never built a monument to a critic. They never build monuments to the people who walk around and go, wrong, wrong, wrong. I remember working with a guy in high school and uh, this guy, I won't, I won't say his name, but he had a, he had a wonderful habit, wonderful habit. You know, me and, uh, me and an, there was another guy in the crew, his name was Mark, and me and Mark were, were a well-oiled machine. Our job was to set up and tear down all the classrooms and things like that. And there was this guy who he came in, and me and Mark, we worked hard. We were, we were making sure that every time we took a load of chairs, we were taking eight, nine, ten chairs, sometimes 11 chairs, to really try to maximize our effort and get these rooms done quickly. And this guy had a wonderful habit of sitting on his butt and doing absolutely nothing. And then he would go back to the room that you just did and he'd go, who did room 104? I did. It's wrong. Great. You fix it. No, it's your job. Oh, really? <laughs> Aren't those people just wonderful to be around? The people who don't want to do, do their job but want to tell you how to do yours? So then why do we do that with other Christians? Why do you do that with other churches? That, you know what, at the end of the day, the role that God has for me, guess what, that's going to keep me busy for quite a while. That's going to keep me busy for a long time. And focusing on my, my own spiritual maturity, focusing on, on growing in my own way, that's going to keep me pretty busy. And you see, when the devil gets us to focus on the menial and the insignificant things, that's how he wins. Why? Because we as people, we're a finite, we're a limited resource. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. We only have so much influence here in this world. And if he can get us to use that time, that energy, that impact, that influence, and if he can get us to use those things on things that don't matter, he wins. Because the more energy we, we expend on these menial things, and the more energy that we expend on nitpicking other people, the less time that we spend on the things that are truly important. The less time that we spend on the things that are truly going to make an impact. So what am I trying to say? Listen, don't focus on what so-and-so is doing. They're not going to stand before you one day, and one day you're not going to stand accountable for what so-and-so did with their life. But you know, you know what you are going to stand accountable for? Whether or not you were a godly spouse. Whether or not you were, you were a godly you know, son, a godly friend, a godly grandparent. Listen, what, what, what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthian believers here is he's saying, listen, 
immature spiritual immaturity it's taking the important things and saying well that's not important what's important is my preference he's like listen you have to focus on what god tells us is important and you know what god's not focused on whether paul or apollos preached the message that changed your life he's just focused on the fact that your life got changed that's what he's focused on And so what should we focus on? We should focus on, you know what? I'm going to do everything that I can to grow spiritually. I'm going to do everything that I can to to see the progress in my life. And you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to take those silly things, take those small things, take those insignificant things, and keep them where they belong in a place where they don't matter. You know, if you choose to run your house a certain way, that's, that's completely up to you. But when we begin to nitpick other people's Christianity, man... That's how the devil wins. That's how the devil gets us to use all of our time, all of our energy, worrying about other people. Why? Because we have have a very significant role. God has a plan for you, and he has something that he specifically wants you to do. And the way in which the devil distracts us from that is he gets us worrying about other people's jobs. When the reality is, man, our job, that's enough to keep us busy for, well, a lifetime. But you know what? I don't know a single person who got to, who got to 30 years old and said, I've mastered it. I am the perfect husband. I am the perfect son. I am the perfect friend. Listen, I don't care what Big E tells you. Nobody reaches that, okay? Listen, I've never met a person who has ever gotten to a point in their life where they go, I've mastered it. I am the perfect Christian. I am the perfect husband. I'm the perfect friend. I am the perfect servant of Almighty God. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me it's the journey of a lifetime. It's something that, I mean, even, even the disciples, even the disciples, I mean, even Paul at the end of his life, yes, he says, I finished my course with joy, but you know what he never says? He never says, Timothy, I've mastered it. But he just says, you know what? I'm happy with the race that I ran. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Will you get to the end of your life and be able to say that? Be able to say that, you know what? I stayed faithful. That every year I just focused on, again, no matter where I was at, I just want to grow. I just want to grow. I just want to grow. Does our spiritual growth look, what does our spiritual growth look like? Does it look like a heartbeat monitor where it's, it's flat and then occasionally we have the revival services and it spikes up? And then we go through the hard time and it spikes in the opposite direction and then it, it eventually plateaus out again? Is is it one of those things where, you know, we have these occasional times of passion and of fire. But eventually it just kind of gets back to the routine. Does our spiritual growth is a continual increase? Doesn't mean we never have. Doesn't mean we never have steps in the wrong direction. Doesn't mean we never mess up. But every day just looking to get a little bit better and a little bit better. And a little bit better. You know, achieving that, that kind of growth, it's a lot of work. We need a lot of help from the Holy Spirit in order to do that. So, let's take all of our energy and pour it into trying to be the best Christian we can be. Because guess what? That's what God call, God's called us to do. Not to be the best version of so-and-so. Not to be the best version of this church. But to be the best Christian that we can be. When we pour all of our time, all of our energy, to be the best spouse, the best friend, the best student, the best parent we can be. You know, you're never going to look back and say, man, I just wish I would have spent more time criticizing others. You know what, one day we will look back and we will say, man, I just wish I would have kept my eyes on what was most important. I wish I would have just focused on growing. 
I wish I would have just focused on, again, just taking that next step, whatever it is that it might be. But friend, let me tell you, you can make that decision. You can make it today. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just want to ask a few questions tonight. You might be in here tonight, and you might say, you know what, Pastor Parker, spiritually, I've plateaued. Spiritually, it, it got to a point where I just got, I just got content. And you know what, Pastor Parker, I, tonight, tonight, I want to make a decision. that I don't want to be content where I'm at, but Pastor Parker, I want to grow on a regular basis. I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd just like to pray for you. You say, Pastor Parker, I want to make a decision tonight that I want to grow, and I want to grow regularly. I don't want to plateau. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? I'd just like to pray for you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're in here tonight, and you say, you know what, Pastor Parker, I've been overly focused on critiquing other people. Pastor Parker, I've been, I, my focus has been on the wrong things, and, and Pastor Parker, pray for me that I would get my focus on what's most important. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I'd just like to pray for you. I want to get my focus on what's most important. I see those hands. Thank you. You can put, you can put them down. Well, tonight, if God's spoken to your heart, don't, don't keep the Holy Spirit waiting. Don't wait until tomorrow to start that first step of growth. Whatever God's dealing with your heart about, let me encourage you to respond. This altar's open. I would encourage you whether it's there at your seat or down here at an old-fashioned altar, God's calling you to take that first step towards spiritual maturity, towards getting your eyes on the right thing, towards embracing the role that He has for you. And don't shut out the Holy Spirit for another moment. As the piano plays, the altar is open. What step is God calling you to take?